Good afternoon, everyone. Let's open up our Bibles to Luke chapter 15. For the most part, our sermon's going to come from this chapter, so do keep your finger there. We might jump to a couple other verses. Just uh, one thing I wanted to make clear about our uh, marriage retreat that we're doing this coming weekend, and that is that typically once a month in the congregation, we have a marriage discipleship group, which uh, the marriage are getting together. This is something new we started in the fall. But uh, just so it's clear to everyone, we're inviting all Every, all the marrieds to come to the event on Saturday, Saturday afternoon. Um, you're welcome to actually stay and, and uh, buy supper there as well, buy dinner, but you need to talk to Roger and Sybil about that. But also, we're, we, it said in every advertisement of this event that it's going to start at 3 o'clock, but we've learned that there's a West Albion game, I believe. Oh, West Brum, there you go, sorry. West Bromwich game. And uh, so, so you how much I know, actually. Uh, I could be... No, I won't even get into that. Um, uh, I'll, I'll go back to the marriage. I know more about marriage than uh, the British Football League. But um, anyway, just uh, for driving and, and just traffic's sake, we're going to start the program at 3.30 at the Park Inn rather than 3 o'clock. And so there's a three-hour afternoon program. It's going to be uh, uh, entertaining and challenging. We've got a great movie called Fireproof where basically a fireman is figuring out that the same principles he uses every day to save people might actually be helpful in his marriage. One is never leave your partner behind and a few other. But anyways, uh, I just invite you to come enjoy that. Then we'll have some discussion groups afterwards. Uh, and um, so, so everyone's invited. All the marrieds in the church are invited. But it would be great to tell Roger and Sybil if you're coming just so we, we know what we're expecting and make sure the room and chairs and everything are set up. Uh, the other thing is I just do want to welcome Widius and Lorraine back for the first time since their baby was born. Uh, there you go. There's a... Yes. Okay. I'm sure she'll let a few of you... Uh, cuddle afterwards, but uh, you know, it is just great uh, to have you guys with us, and uh, we've been praying for mother and child, so great to see you back here with us. Compassion for a lost world, that's our theme today. And it's interesting, uh, I tend to struggle with, in my concept of God, sort of making God very rigid and solid, because He's eternal and unchanging. It's hard for me to understand that there's also an emotional side to God. And so, you know, mercy for me makes a lot of sense. Grace, there's a lot of sense in grace. That's the heart of God towards us. He's always had it. And so He's this God who's got a great view towards us, and He really cares about us. But the word compassion takes it all a step further. Because the word compassion is something that you feel in in the situation that you're in. When you, when you see something tragic and you're stirred inside, that's compassion. And we've all seen it. It isn't hard to dig into our pockets and give some money to the poor if we see a few pictures, is it? 
Uh, it's not too hard if you've been in the third world. You've visited India and you've seen some of the situations or many poor countries in Africa and Asia and uh, even South America. And you see the poverty that's there. And then someone says, boy, if you could just give a little, this is what it could do. It's very easy to be motivated to do that. But that's how compassion works. Compassion can make a hard job easier. Because compassion gives us energy. And it's a response to what we see in the world. You know, the good news about God is He isn't just distant. And I appreciate what Adi was saying, you know, sort of about churches that, that separate the whole act of God and, and make it and formalize it. And, and the people don't even get to really understand it. Sometimes don't even get to touch the communion, which seems kind of, it's all symbolic then. But instead, you know, Jesus wanted each one of us to break bread together. He wanted each one of us to taste the fruit of the vine. He wanted us to have some kind of physical experience as we remember Him. Because the thing we're really remembering more than anything is that God became flesh. That God became just like us. Now, that's compassion. Because if you really want to understand what it's like to not have good food for a week, try it. But it's very challenging to even think that way. And I appreciate, you know, some, some of the, because of the focus of our Hope UK has been in basically helping the homeless. Down in London, where our programs are centered right now, but we're trying to spread out into the rest of the country. It's interesting, though, that uh, they've had these times where whole groups of Christians would go out and actually live out on the street for an evening, sleep out in the park. Now, you know, to be honest, for you know, for a certain age group of people, this is kind of fun. <laughs> and a certain t- kind of person. Uh, you know, but there are those uh, city dwellers that uh, are pretty shocked by the whole experience and uh, really do, in just one night, gain a lot of sympathy for what someone might have to face on a very regular basis. But, you know, if it's wet and cold and there's nowhere to be, if you're hungry and there's no food, uh, if you're lonely and there's no fellowship, it's, I think, easy for us to understand where compassion can come from. Because we wouldn't want to be that way ourselves. And compassion, come in constructing words, means with. And passion is energy feeling. You know, you have this feeling with someone. You're sympathizing with them. And it's, it's really something that touches your heart. Well, we have a God who cares about us. He cares so much. Jesus came in the flesh to walk where we walk, to face what we face, and to be really our representative before God. Let's just read. We'll start in, verse, uh, in chapter 15, verse 1 and 2. It says, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Now, wouldn't you like that to be the worst thing that your enemies could say about you? That you hang out with sinners? And they they weren't actually saying he is a sinner. They're just saying he hangs out with them. I don't know about you, but I'm very grateful that Jesus hangs out with sinners. In fact, I count on it every morning. As I get up and have a little uh, Bible study and a little prayer time, I'm kind of counting on the fact that Jesus doesn't mind being with a sinner like me. And in fact, 
I believe it's so true because He knows what this life is like. He knows what it is to feel weak. He knows what it is to face temptation. And there's a number of Scriptures where Jesus would say to the religious people of His day, you know, I didn't come for the the healthy, I came for the sick. And of course they were thinking, yeah, we don't really need you. They didn't get it. If they could actually see what Jesus said, they would have said, heal me! right away, but but Jesus was just trying to explain to them, don't you even get it? Why would I come and hang out with everybody whose lives are already all together? You know, being part of the church, you know, wouldn't it be terrible if people came to the church and said, boy, I can't be a part of that church. They're all so perfect. I'm so glad that that's not really our problem. But you know, if we become religious, people get that impression If we don't get open and talk about, you know, the real struggles that we have in life and the things that we face, you know, the misunderstandings we can have in communication with each other. Uh, You know, we have some pretty high ideals about marriage. I'm proud of the fact worldwide our our success rate, you could say, in keeping marriages together is about 99%. Uh, I'll take that. I would love 100. But, you know, we're striving for 100. That's why we're close. But you know, still, we all know that we didn't break the stat of society by uh, some just miraculous endowment of the Holy Spirit. And uh, the Spirit just taking over. It's by submission to that Spirit. It's by openness, confession, being real with each other. You know, God has compassion on this world and He's demonstrated it by coming here and, and being here in the flesh and experiencing life. This chapter is really about chapter 15. It's about God and the lost. Let's just read the first two parables. It says, Jesus told them this parable. Suppose if you want, one of you had a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Does he not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Now just so you know, I don't think Jesus was trying to tell the Pharisees, you don't need to repent. What He's actually really trying to get them to understand was the heart of God. That God loves everyone. And maybe the person we consider the worst sinner is the one God's really going after. He wants them. Of course, the more we study the Scriptures, the more we learn about ourselves and God, hopefully we start to see that we ourselves are probably the worst sinners we'll ever know. I don't know anybody in this room that sinned more than me. But that's simply because I know myself more than I know you. You know what I'm saying? I mean, and if we're going to be honest about ourselves, the worst sinner in the room that we know by fact is ourselves. Does anyone agree, agree with me? Okay. So, uh, you know, sometimes people read the Scriptures. Paul said, I'm the worst of, sinner. worst of sinners. And everyone goes, great. See, that was Paul. That was his problem. But Paul was speaking with a good conscience just about himself. And we need to understand that about ourselves. What's interesting in this parable, he's just really trying to point out the heart of God. It's not very complimentary to think of yourself as a sheep. 
The reason sheep get lost and sheep stray is because they're not that smart. They're just not that smart. And they usually hang out in the group, they, they, you know, but a sheep, when it eats, looks at the ground. And a sheep basically eats its way away from the flock because it's so busy focusing on the really important matter. And that's not staying with everybody else. That's just, you know, moving forward as the grass, the sheep eats, you know, is used up and keeps moving forward. And so these sheep find themselves way out there simply because they put their head down. Now, this is kind of urban or maybe rural myth, I think. But it's been said a sheep, if a sheep walks up against something and puts its head there, it'll just stay there and won't move. Now, I'm a chicken farmer. That's what I grew up doing. Many generations of it. And I know that they're about that intelligent. I'd like to think a sheep is a little more intelligent. But the point is, sheep wander. And what God's trying to say is, what Jesus is trying to say is, our God cares about those who wander. He doesn't go, man, look at that stupid sheep down there. My goodness. Well, this uh, you know, there's a cliff over there. Keep, keep going. You know, you'll figure it out sooner or later. You know, we have a God who actually is concerned about us, who really has a heart for us. Look in, in the next parable, verse 8. Suppose a woman has ten silver coins and loses one. Does she not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. You know, she had ten silver coins. You know, you can have a whole pocket of change and have no silver whatsoever anymore. But, you know, if you had something precious and you lost it, well, how many people have looked for their cell phone this week? Just... Am I the only one? You know, two, three. Okay, you know, there's a, there's a crowd out there. You know, there's certain things we seem to lose. You know, if I, it's car keys, cell phone. You know, hopefully you don't lose your Bible, but even we lose that sometimes. Uh, wallet. Oh, that's a tough one. You know, but when you lose something that you consider valuable, something that you need, you go, you get right on it, and when you find it, you're fired up. When we moved to to uh, Moscow 21 years ago, I took all of our savings in cash with me because we didn't even know there was a bank account. And uh, we didn't know how to open a bank account there. And actually, it took even a few months to figure that out. But um, I had this money, and I had it in a little pouch, and I put it behind a book because when you lived in Moscow at that time, you didn't rent empty apartments because actually... The government owned everything, and people rented you something. It was kind of a sublet, but, you know, whatever. But all their stuff was in it. And so I put this packet of money, $14,000, behind a book. A week later, I went to get some, and it wasn't there. I tore the house apart, and I couldn't find it. And I didn't look everywhere, because at certain places I just said, I know it's not there. One month later, I was sitting in the armchair talking and I thought to myself, I know where it is. It's behind that book over there in that room. And there it was. And there was much rejoicing. You know, we lose 
those things. And, and sometimes people are lost, not on any fault of their own. It's, man, they're lost kind of because of negligence around them. And, and what I want to say is, it's not that God doesn't hold us responsible for what's going in our, on in our heart. We'll get to that in the next two. But these first two stories tell us about God. That God looks at humanity and every lost coin, every lost sheep is dear to Him. And when they are found, there's rejoicing in heaven. Because he's so excited about that person being restored to relationship with him. Well, that's God's heart. Let's talk a little more about man's heart. Let's read over here. Did I even read this, the parable of the coin? I did. Okay, sorry. I can even forget that. I lost myself right there. Okay. But look over here, Luke 15, verse 11. It says, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property with them. Now, typically you wait till someone dies before you get your inheritance. But uh, the guy was a little impatient. Uh, you know, there's another way he could have done this. I'm glad he didn't do it that way. Uh, he just asked his dad for it. Then not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he'd spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country, who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger, sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. You know, in this parable, we get a little more insight into what's going on in the hearts of men. And in fact, that we are distracted and lured away into the world because we want to do things our way. And if you open up a newspaper today, how much of the news is good? You know, a campus group uh, this Friday evening for a sort of an event together, just a social event, we went to a debate and after have to admit, I'm very proud of Alex Bryden. Uh, this was a debate on were the strikes of November 30th, 2011 justified. And so there were people arguing for, people arguing against, and people abstaining from a position. And, uh, you know, after they finished, the, there's two, two people representing each side uh, at the front. They did their little seven-minute speech. They opened it up to the floor, and then Alex got up and shared a little bit. It was great. He actually won a bottle of wine. They were so impressed by some of the things that he shared. 
But uh, they're talking about was the strike justified? And so Alex shared a little bit about school where he's working in the he's training in the public sector and and public services, and he was talking about some of the things his teachers have said and their situation. And it was actually the only person who shared anything that was actually connected in any way with the public sector. For everybody else, this was a theoretical debate. And it was all about these, you know, this, this issue, but the, the fact is, the world is in a mess. And many points got brought up that were good, and one, one of the points, you know, it, it was, and, it, and I just, I'm just glad I'm not in the government, actually. It's very complicated, you know, to answer all these questions. But some were, some were arguing, you know, no, the strike was bad. Others, the strike was good. No, we need the right to strike. So exercising your right is good. Well, that's okay, yes. And, you know, it just, the, the, the fact was it wasn't even clear to the debaters exactly what the question was. The guys that were against were sort of answering a different question than the people that were for, interestingly enough. But anyway, it, it was a debate. It showed kind of where the world is at. But, you know, you, you think about it. There's a lot of problems. Do we have compassion or not? And what was interesting is, here we're debating about the rights of human beings, and especially the people that were um, for the strike. They were swearing. They were using incredibly disrespectful language to the other people who were like, like, like we're sitting there, we're talking about, we need to protect people, we need to treat them right. You stupid, and they're using all these different words towards each other, and you're thinking, um, you know, maybe we should start here with a little civility, you know, and then move on from there. But if you can't even debate about it when it's not about your stuff, and be civil. But see, the truth is, we live in a world that's just really messed up. And it's easy to not have compassion. It's easy to look at the world and kind of say, well, you know what, just like this son, he made his decisions, he's suffering for it, that's his problem. But that's not our God. But that is who we are. No one here sinned because someone forced you to. We sinned because we were tempted by our own desire... And there's something we wanted to do that we know it wasn't right, knew it wasn't right, and we went ahead and risked it and did it anyways. Sin is a decision in our hearts. And we chose usually something material rather than something spiritual. And see, we live in a world that is hurting because people aren't choosing God. They're choosing worldly things. And so you've got this young man. He got his inheritance. It was so good. And look at all the friends he had. But when the money ran out, he was hanging out with the pigs. Sitting there thinking, hired hands for my father do better than this. I'm just going to turn myself in as his servant. And that would be better. But you know, do you see the father sitting there waiting? Kind of tapping his foot. And oh, he sees him come. Oh yeah, I'm just, I'm just going to hold back a little. Let him suffer as he comes towards me. I'm not even going to show any expression on my face until he gets really close. Let him be guessing right until the last moment. Do I really love him? Will I really forgive him? Was that the father's attitude? No, it says when he saw him coming, he ran to him. He threw his arms around him. Now, I, I do appreciate the young son. He 
the younger son, he did get the words out. Father, I've sinned and, you know. But dad's like, no. Like, dad wasn't listening to anything more than that. You've repented. You've come back. I love you. Let's celebrate. Boy, is that a great attitude the church should have? Who here is a prodigal son returned and welcomed back by God? Put up your hand. Let's celebrate, okay? That's worth celebrating. God loves us even though we took the lives He gave us and doing things our own way, sinned and hurt our relationship with Him and our relationship with each other. God loves us. But it's interesting, God, this father didn't go running after the son. Because God still gives us freedom, doesn't He? God doesn't put us under a ball and chain. He makes an invitation to us, and it's a relationship with us. Let's just read a little further. There's a second son. There's a couple other scriptures in the little notes here. You can check those out later. But let's look in Luke 15. We'll read further, verse 25. It said, Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. Now, it would be so easy just to assume that the older brother and the father, everything was good. I mean, the younger son, he's the bad one. He's the one that's abusing his father's you know, wealth and just, you know, just throwing it away. But the, there's something wrong with the older son. He's not very happy. He sounds, in fact, very religious. Because he's hearing this festival, this, uh, this party going on. He's kind of like, what's going on? And he's told, it's about your younger brother. He's come back. And so does he go, fantastic. Look what he says. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours comes, sorry, this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fatted calf for him. My son, the father said, You are always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because his brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And the story ends. We don't know. Did he ever go in? Or did he just kind of look at his father and go, you go in. I'm staying out here. I mean, the sad thing is, where God is, that's where heaven is. If you take this sort of parable and its eternal meaning, this guy's basically saying, I don't want to be in your heaven. I don't want to be in a heaven that's full of redeemed sinners. I want a heaven full of righteous religious people. And that isn't God's heart. Of course, God sees us all the same. God doesn't go, oh wow, religious people, they don't really need me. The way that you know the non-religious do... The truth is God looks at religious people and often is trying to wa- waving His hands, trying to get people's attention through all the religion. Can they just really see 
who He is. The Pharisees saw God more like a principle than like a person. The law was more important to them than mercy and justice. And see, it's easy to become just a group of people who have a standard and a culture. We had a meeting yesterday with the singles, and we've been talking for a few months now about our culture as a church. And it's important to realize that the church has a culture. We have sort of practicals that we put, the the way that we live out our lives become sort of patterns. We imitate each other, and we agree with each other or disagree with each other. Uh, When I did, did this lesson originally... I was looking at a point that's kind of interesting. You've got the law of Moses, which is commands about how to live. 500 years later, you've got the book of Proverbs, which is common wisdom about how to live. And there is a connection. 500 years of trying to put the law into practice, and people have some pretty good ideas about how to do it. In the law of Moses, which is like this this thick in your Bible, there's only three or four verses about what to do in raising your children. But in the book of Proverbs, there's lots of good advice. Because there's some rules, but then there's just good advice about how to raise your children. You know what I'm saying? We have a culture that we develop in the church. And either we can be at the party, or we can be with the older son. Now, who wants to be with the older son? I wanted to give you a break so you wouldn't put up your hands, okay? No one wants to hang out with the older son. I'll tell you what, the older son was not having a party. Or we might call it a pity party. You know, he's just sitting out there feeling sorry for himself. At least he could be happy that his father was happy. But he wasn't connected to his father. Instead, he was connected to the sense of right and wrong and doing this and that. And that's what gave him his, his worth. Not his relationship with God. But the the young son, he, he saw the whole thing. He saw that his father's a loving father who loves deeply. You know, let's look over in Matthew 21. In Matthew, we also have another parable about two sons. And it's interesting because it's not the same parable. But if you were to summarize both these parables into a sentence, they're almost the same. The idea is similar. Look here in Matthew 21, we'll start reading in verse 28. It says, What do you think? There was a man who had two sons. He went to the first and said, Son, go and work today in the vineyard. I will not, he answered. But later changed his mind and went. Then the father went to the other son and said the same thing. He answered, I will, sir. But he did not go. Which of the two did what the father wanted? Oh, the first one. They answered. Jesus said, I tell you the truth. The tax collectors and the prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. For John came to you to show you the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes did. And even after you saw this, you did not repent and believe Him. There's some similarities in this. One is that there's two sons. But also, the similarity is that for one son, things ended well. But for the other, they didn't. And interestingly, for the son who was kind of open about his rebellion, it actually in the end worked out. 
because he repented. But see, the problem with the other son is he didn't think he needed to repent. And so he went along and said the right thing, but never got his heart in the right place. We need compassion if we're going to reach out to this world that we're in. And the question, I think, that we need to ask ourselves is, are we learning from God how to love people? Are we learning how to love? You know, Jesus said, love as I have loved you. He summed up the whole Old Testament with two commands. Love the Lord your God with all your mind, strength, soul, and heart. And then He said, love your neighbor as yourself. This is the whole law. But you know, because we love ourselves so strangely sometimes, we do weird things even to ourselves. Jesus set a new standard. He said, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no man than this. Then he laid down his life for his friends. And so we've been called to love in a way that God loves us. We've been called to have compassion on a lost world. You know, it's easy to be critical. It's easy to look and say, well, that's wrong, and they deserve the problems they're in. But that's not God's heart. There is a final judgment that will come, but God's not exercising that right now. He's actually teaching mercy and grace. And He wants us to carry this message. In closing, let's look over in Luke chapter 10. We'll end with another parable. Luke 10 and verse 25. It says, in one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, I have to admit, if you're going to ask Jesus and you only get one question, this is the right question. That is a good question. What must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? He answered, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. Now, how do you think Jesus feels about that answer? He'd made a pretty similar one himself. He goes, You have answered correctly. And if the story ended there, one religious person would have just gone home going, I know what I... I know it. Everything's good. I can live my life the way I want to because I know the truth. Knowledge is so wonderful. But Jesus tacked a little sentence on here. He says, do this and you will live. Uh Uh-oh. But he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? Uh Uh-oh. Sometimes you can be a little too smart, right? Love your neighbor as yourself. Well, who is my neighbor? And you know, by definition, typically we think people are, our neighbors are those that live in our neighborhood. And our neighborhood is basically an area of, of houses that share some kind of common you know, streets and maybe some kind of formal affiliation, maybe not. But you know, we, these are our neighbors. We, we could go next door and get a cup of, cup of sugar from our neighbor. 
And this guy says, who's my neighbor? Not unlike Peter wanting to know, you know, how many people should I have to forgive? And Peter goes, seven? Is, if I forgive my brother seven times, would that be enough? You know, when we start trying to measure how our righteous act should look, we're already thinking the wrong way, right? Because we need to act righteously from our hearts, not just have it all measured out. But look what Jesus says. In reply, Jesus said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him of his his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. He was busy. So to a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. Now this is pretty offensive to the Jews right here, because you've got a priest and a Levite. These are the religious elite in their society. But says, but a Samaritan, who basically is an outcast from a Jewish point of view, a Samaritan, as he traveled, came from the came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He had compassion for him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, took him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense that you may have. Well, this is a great guy, right? But he had compassion. The, The difference that Jesus is pointing out here is about who had compassion and who didn't. And the priest and the Levite were too busy to have compassion. You know, Jesus, a lot of the stories about Jesus happened when he was on his way somewhere and got interrupted by someone's problem. And because of his compassion, he did something about it. When we're too busy to have heart for people around us, we're too busy. We're caught up in this world. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him, go and do likewise. Jesus turned the question around. The man had asked, who is my neighbor? And Jesus said, who are you willing to be a neighbor to? See, compassion isn't about an obligation. Compassion is about a real, genuine response toward the needs of others. We have a God through these parables. We, we just see God. God look, goes after the sheep even though the sheep should know better. The sheep's wandered off. God's, God's gone for it. The coin got lost. We don't know how. It just got lost. But God's concerned about it. He wants to find it. The son, the, the younger son, was just flat rebellious. He, he got what he wanted, ran from home, and then lived the way he wanted till he hit the wall. But when he came back, repentant in heart, he was welcomed by his father. But the older son, who could have been sharing in all the joy with his father, was so busy being righteous legalistically that he was missing the fact of just enjoying the company of his father. And he had no compassion whatsoever. We are, we are called by Jesus to imitate Him. And we need to imitate Him in compassion. 
As we go out this week, let's think about the needs of people around us. And it is overwhelming. When we, we open up our eyes to the needs around us, we start to realize we don't have enough time. We don't have enough strength. We need help. But see, that's true too of Jesus. And Jesus looking at this world wants our help to work with us and through us to reach a lost world. Let's imitate our Father. Let's look at the lostness and just not resent it and see it as an inconvenience. But let's see it as an opportunity to really show the love of God to as many people as possible. Amen.